This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Hey, it's Glenn, and I want to remind you, peace of mind is tough to come by these days unless you have a Liberty Safe. With a Liberty Safe, you won't worry when you leave the house because you'll know your valuables are protected. And right now, you can get free delivery to your home on any Liberty Safe. Go to LibertySafe.com for factory direct pricing. LibertySafe.com, made in the USA, lifetime warranty, and peace of mind. LibertySafe.com. Hello, America. First day of the Republican convention in Cleveland. Pray. Pray for safety. Pray for the safety of our police officers. You know, I've been saying for a while, the only thing that hasn't happened is assassinations. Um, But I believe we are experiencing assassinations now. Our cops are being assassinated on the streets. They are government officials being assassinated. We are headed for some really dark times, a civil war possibly, and a race war that is almost upon us. We begin in Baton Rouge right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Oh, man. I, um... How many cops did we lose over the weekend? Three? Four? Three? Three. Mm-hmm. <sighs> One of the police officers that was lost in Baton Rouge, just went on his Facebook page to explain what he was feeling as a black man and a cop. I'm tired physically and emotionally, disappointed in some family and friends and officers for some reckless comments But hey, what's in your heart is in your heart. I still love you all because take hate takes too much energy and I definitely won't be looking at you the same. Thank you to everyone who has reached out to me or my wife. It was needed and much appreciated. I swear to God I love this city. But I wonder now if this city loves me. In uniform, I get nasty, hateful looks. And out of uniform, some consider me a threat. I've experienced so much in my short life, and these last three days have tested me to the core. When people you know begin to question your integrity, you realize they really don't know you at all. Look at my actions. They speak loud and clear. Finally, I personally want to send prayers out to everyone directly affected by all of the police shootings. These are trying times. Please, don't let hate infect your heart. This city must and will get better. I'm working in these streets, so any protester 
any officer, any friends, family, whoever, if you see me and need a hug or just want to say a quick prayer, I got your back. Two weeks later, he was executed. This has nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. Because he's a black life. He's a black man. Does his life not matter? This was Nation of Islam. The Nation of Islam. The Nation of Islam, which was responsible for the killing of Malcolm X. I have said to you, I have said to you for the last four years, we're going to enter into 1968. And the only things that are missing are assassinations. And when the assassinations begin, look out, because all bets are off. I don't know if anybody noticed, but there was talk, serious talk, on television about martial law in America. We haven't even hit the tough times yet, gang. They're talking in Cleveland today. Chief of police who says, I'm an NRA member. I'm a gun guy. I'm a Second Amendment guy. But can't we just suspend this concealed weapons permit just for a while? Yeah, the open carry. The open carry. Can't we just suspend that law for a while? No. What other law would you just like to suspend for a while? <laughs> what about freedom of speech just for a little while? Well, freedom to assemble. Just when, for a while. Isn't the problem of freedom of assembly? Women's voting rights. I mean, just for, just for a, a while. while, like until December, and then we'll be back on, on track. We're still leaving a bunch of laws on the record still open. Yeah, there's still yeah, laws. There's still a lot. This isn't going to be saved by a politician. Now, can it be helped by a politician? Sure it can. Sure it can. We could get rid of the politician who is currently in the White House, who I contend, I agree with the police chief that said this weekend, President Obama has blood on his hands. He does. Much of this is from his making. He has tolerated and encouraged the Black Panthers. He has tolerated and encouraged Black Lives Matter. He has not stood with our police officers. He has repeatedly say the police act stupidly. He has not gone up and given a speech where he forcefully, as president of the United States, says this has got to stop. This has got to stop now. And I don't care what your problems are with the system. Yeah, 
okay, you're upset about this or that. I got it. I agree with you on some of it. But this has got to stop and no one will listen to you. No one will listen to you. And his people will say he's done that. And no, he, he has, has not, not done that. He has, he has not, not done, that. done that. He has not done that. He's paid lip service to police. He's, but he's forcefully lectured us repeatedly on how we need to change our hearts as white people and understand what black people are going through. I mean, the time to do that is not when five officers have been shot dead in Dallas and three more in Baton Rouge. Or the time to do that is at their funeral. And in the definitely not. No? No. Huh. no. Here's what he said. Um, Are you talking the, the uh, yeah, the police chief in Cleveland? Yes. Cleveland Police Association president. The president of the United States validated false narrative and the nonsense that Black Lives Matter and the media are pressing out there to the public validated it with his very divisive statements, and now we see an escalation. Um, this has got to end. We need some leadership in this country to come forward and put an end to this. I don't care if it's clergy, I don't care who it is, but somebody's got to step up and put an end to this because it's the false narrative and very influential people that are, that are politicizing the false narrative um, absolutely insane that we have a president of the United States and a governor of Minnesota making the statements that they made less than one day after those uh, police-involved shootings. And those police-involved shootings, make no mistake, are what absolutely has triggered this, this rash of, of, of senseless murders of law enforcement officers across this country. Um, it, it is reprehensible and the president of the united states has blood on his hands and it will not be able to come washed off he's right he's absolutely right i think so and how many more of these and we haven't even gotten to the isis part yet we haven't gotten to the bad parts yet guys and and who is the nation of islam it is about islam there are people, Stu was just reading from people. Didn't you know it was a nation of Islam, not radical Islam? Yeah, they're, they're, the media is hammering uh, Trump because he called into a show uh, earlier today, I believe, and said, well, you know, the problem here is radical uh, Islam, and it looks like this guy had some ties to radical Islam. And, and the host's like, I, how does he not know that this isn't radical Islam? It's the nation of Islam. We don't. That con- is as radical as uh-huh. Islam gets. Right. Yeah. Louis Farrakhan? Now, he considers them, they talk about uh, Muslim beliefs. They call themselves Muslims in the, some of their writings. The, the word Islam is in the, the title of their Based organization. On Muhammad, they are Based radical. On Muhammad. Right. Like, so, they, so you'd say that they're connected to Islam. And I would consider that to be, considering the fact that the guy uh, who's the spokesman for it is calling for the death of all white people, yeah. I would say, yeah, I, I kind of feel like that is radical. Mm. So are, are, who's the, the, I mean, I, you know. How is he wrong on that? Like, he didn't say it was, um, as far as I heard, Middle Eastern-based uh, Islamic radicalism. He said radical Islam. I, how, is, how are they how not? How is Louis Farrakhan not radical Islam? It's another way to cover, I think, for Islam. Islam has a cancer inside of it. And it is the superiority complex that leads people to be taught by clerics, kill, 
Kill all the infidels. Kill the non-believers. That we are the great Satan. I mean, how do you not? I mean, Louis Farrakhan has said those words. So do the clerics in and the mullahs in Iran, in Saudi Arabia. And while they don't, while they're not the same, they're they're using the same scripture. They're using the same ideas. Well, yeah, and they're both still Islam. If you had Christians that, and one was one sect was Catholicism and another was Episcopalian, nobody would say those aren't Christians doing that. It's radical Christianity. You know, it's still Christianity. So I, I don't even understand what they're, you know, the, the hair they're trying to split there. It doesn't make any sense. And if you've listened to Farrakhan say he needs an army of 10,000 to go out and kill white people, uh, and he never even... He really didn't even suffer any consequences from that. Nobody, Nobody even barely, reported it. Barely made a peep about that. Yeah, we've been talking about him for a long time. Yeah, but we're about the only ones who've even brought him up, which is maybe why they don't understand he's radical Islam. Uh, he essentially admitted that he killed Malcolm X. Never paid a price for that. And they were on the forefront of arm yourself, black people, get right. out into the streets and kill people. In the 1960s, that's what they were doing in the summer of rage. That's what he was preaching. Now is the time. Rise up. Kill them. He's doing the same thing now. Rise up and kill them. We have asked for how many years? Where is the press on him? Mm-hmm. He, is, he is fomenting hatred. This is where this, a lot of this is coming from. The Muslim Brotherhood, the uh, Nation of Islam, and the Black Panthers. A lot of this, and now Black Lives Matter, funded by George Soros. And every time we mention any of those, Black Panthers, Nation of Islam, everybody laughs it off like, oh, that doesn't matter. There's not enough there to even worry about. When is anybody going to start talking about it? When is anybody going to start talking about it? I don't know. When is anybody going to recognize that assassinations are happening now? And those assassinations are only going to get worse they are going to get worse. They are going to spread from, uh, uh, from uh, cops, I believe, to media figures and also to um, uh, public officials. You're going to see it. You're going to see it. And I always get hesitant. I, I'm not in love with the idea of assigning blame for, this, for these things to anybody other than the person who do, does them. But the media is. This is what they love doing. They love assigning. Yep. For example, going back, and it's, someone posted this on Twitter, just a, a scan of, of these headlines. Planned Parenthood attack and anti-abortion rhetoric, the undeniable uh, 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 tie. Anti-abortion rhetoric unwittingly unleashes the unhinged. Violent anti-choice rhetoric must end or anti-abortion violence will never stop. These are the headlines. Again, this is one this that was one incident. Like I mean, I can barely even remember the details Eight of it. But cops have been killed in two weeks. Right, <laughs> this is happening over and, and over. Nobody's again. mentioning it. You can't even talk about it. Like right. and I, 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 I'd rather have it just be the person. Like we all have. You have you have the right to be able to be critical of police officers. You have the right to be wrong about about uh, your criticism of police officers. I, I, what you should do is strive for the truth. Absolutely, um, but. 
The idea that the media will get on these bandwagons immediately, they constantly, even with the Tea Party, when there wasn't violence, they were saying the rhetoric could potentially lead to violence. When it does with a group that they like, it's absolute silence. Mm -hmm. Let's, Let's compile, Pat, for tomorrow's program, let's compile all of the violent rhetoric of Louis Farrakhan, Black Lives Matter, the Black Panthers, everything that we have gathered over the last few years that they have all ignored, that we have all been... I would be an entire show. That's a lot. I know. We we still have... I've got a ton of Farrakhan stuff just by himself. Same thing. And nobody's ever paid any attention to it except us that that I've ever seen. I mean, you, you never see Louis Farrakhan discussed... Uh, like this. No, you he, never see it tied to the only way you race see wars coming, race wars coming, right. race wars coming. The only way you ever it. see him does. is when people are mocking us for talking about him. That's about it. But yeah, that's that's a great idea. We'll, we'll put that together. Just shame the media on what they're not talking about. By the way, um, speaking of that, all this week during the GOP convention, we have a serial on just how bad Hillary Clinton really is uh, begins tomorrow. <laughs> shaming the media on all of the things. You will not believe when you put it all together and you look at that package, you're like, holy cow. This woman cannot be the president of the United States. Sponsor, this half hour is simply safe. How do you put a price on protecting your family may i suggest you may police officers are going to be um harder and harder to come by uh if i'm a police officer if this continues i don't know if i'm continuing and i'm certainly not signing up to be a police officer big home security companies know you'd pay pay practically any amount for your family's security so they prey on your emotions and they give you that at free uh, that free system. They lock you into a long-term contract and charge you forty, fifty, or sixty dollars a month for monitoring for years. Now, here's a better idea: Simply Safe. It saves you fourteen ninety-nine a month. No contract. You own the system, so you can take it with you if you move. Right now, you need security. You need that extra time to go grab your gun. You need that extra time uh, to be able to have the police already on the way. Simply Safe Home Security. For the protection we trust, go to simplysafebeck.com right now. Get an exclusive 10% discount at simplysafebeck.com. Save 10% now at simplysafebeck.com. You're listening. You're listening to the Glenn Beck program. The Glenn Beck program. Mercury. I am a big fan of disruptive ideas, and this year, Casper Mattresses is on the top of my list. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I love sleeping on my Casper mattress. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at an unbelievably fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And better yet, it breathes so you don't wake up drenched in sweat. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. 
In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your home. And if you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund everything. Imagine that, a company so confident that their product is what you want that they'll offer a 100% refund. Made in America, with free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. Get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash glenn and use the promo code glenn. Terms and conditions do apply. Go to casper.com slash glenn, casper.com slash glenn. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at glennbeck.com. Going up to the convention in just a little while, um, we have Mike Lee, who's going to be checking in with us from the convention floor. Uh, coming up, we also have the serial beginning. Is it tomorrow or is it today? Tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah. tomorrow on Hillary Clinton. Um, today, at the top of next hour, I'm going to be telling you what happened in Turkey. And it is not what you think it is. This is real, real trouble. Uh, and I personally think this kind of stuff is going to spread. This is just the beginning of it. Was Hillary Clinton involved? Quite an amazing story. Um, You're not going to talk about a caliphate or something, are you? Because <laughs> that's preposterous. Better not. <laughs> Remember when he said it was going to spread mean, from the uh, from the Tunisian thing? <laughs> oh, golly. Man. Oh, those were good times. Anyway, yeah, those were good times. good times. In comparison to what we've got coming, they were great times. Great times. You remember, and I used to say this off off the air because I never wanted to say it on the air because it was too depressing. I said, we are going to look back on these days as the golden days. And that was about, what, 2011? Yeah. And everybody was really upset. And I said, off air, we're going to look back on these days as the really good days. <laughs> and those, those days aren't coming back. <laughs> More in just a second. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. I read this in USA Today, and I could not believe it. Uh, This is from Paul Singer. Paul Singer is the um, Washington correspondent for USA Today. He says, once upon a time, Glenn Beck was right, and I was very wrong. It was early March 2003, and Beck, the conservative radio talk show host, was just beginning his meteoric rise. I was the head of the Cleveland Bureau of the Associated Press, responsible for the wire services coverage across Northeast Ohio. Beck had called for a series of rallies nationwide, with Cleveland being one of the first to rally for America, to stand as a counterpart to anti-war protests going on in the country to respond to U.S. preparations for an invasion of Iraq. Beck said these were not ideological events rather than patriotic displays. There was a distinct conservative consciousness that ran through them, and they became a way for conservatives to stand up across the country and say, hey, we are here too. 
Beck said at the time, I firmly support all the right of all Americans to express their views on the war in Iraq or anything else. Um, uh, let's see. The rallies were grassroots events funded by dollar donations from listeners, but they quickly got national notice. By April, the National Conservative Group had joined in and held a rally for America in D.C., featuring reading of letters of President George W. Bush, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Fred Thompson, uh, blah, blah, blah. Looking back, Beck's protests were an early seed of the Trump movement. These were largely white, largely working-class rallies featuring aggressive flag-draped patriotism. And while they were relatively small, the Cleveland event had 8,000 people, they were also relatively large. It is hard to get 8,000 people to gather for a political event outside in Cleveland in early March. Remember the look of that ice in the river, how cold it was that day? Ultimately, more than 150 people attended the Rallies for America events in a bunch of flyover states. Huh? 150,000. Yeah, that's what I said. I'm sorry. 150, okay. Anyway, I didn't assign anyone to cover the Cleveland rally. There were a lot of reasons that made sense. For starters, it was Saturday afternoon, blah, 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 blah. Um, and third, rally organizers made no media outreach. Um, but these are all lame excuses. It would have been easy to find out where and when the rally was being head, held and assign somebody to cover it or even head over myself. But I decided not to bother because it didn't seem like much of a thing. So the AP wire had no national story about the protest that first weekend. By Monday morning, conservatives were complaining that AP had ignored the rallies for political reasons, which was not true at all. We had ignored the rallies because I was too dumb to pay attention to them. I feel if we have paid more attention then, we might have better understood the Tea Party in 2010 and Trump's support this year. It's worth noting that Beck despises Trump and refused to endorse him and has suggested uh, that his election would be a possible extinction-level event for capitalism. But 13 years ago, Beck tapped into the same stream of patriotism and outsider anger that Trump has turned into rocket fuel for his extraordinary presidential campaign. As I returned to Cleveland this weekend for the convention to crown Donald Trump as presidential nominee of the Republican Party, I find my th- myself thinking of this stunning development that it would be easier to understand had I gone to the Beck rally in 2003. Obviously, Beck understood something I com- missed completely. Apparently, he missed uh, Washington, D.C. in 2010 with 500,000 people, too. Yeah. Well, so listen to this. So I just, wrote, I just wrote an open letter. I just posted this on Facebook. I wrote an open letter to that writer, Paul Singer, USA Today's Washington correspondent. Paul, five years ago, I left Fox disillusioned. I really thought if I could make a good case of what was coming, backed up by facts and a decent track record of seeing over the horizon, smart people like you would listen and begin to dig into what I was finding. I was wrong. Perhaps it was my fault in trying to gather the largest audience I could and make five-hour series on topics like Woodrow Wilson, Road to Serfdom, the founders, and even Gandhi and MLK, Perhaps I put too much show in my business, and the people who already didn't see the world the way I did were less likely to take me serious. This is why, almost three years ago, I made the rounds on every TV network and show that would have me to apologize for my role in dividing the country. That was never my intent, but it was part of the result. I am so deeply sorry to say that I did play a role in the trouble we're now seeing in our families, states, and parties. I had hoped 
that that moment of self-reflection would lead other people like you, those in the media, politicians, special interest groups, and average Americans to spend a moment and ponder what role they may have played in getting us where we are. Because like it or not, if I had never been born, we would still be here. We did this to ourselves, all of us. It didn't just happen. And unfortunately, the self-reflection from others didn't happen either. Most pounced and heaped the blame on me, but not a second of self-reflection. Paul, I can't thank you enough for being honest and admitting that you did miss something. I'm sure it took a lot out of you to write that. I don't know you, and I don't know if you like or respect me at all. But frankly, it doesn't matter, because this is way bigger than us, and we are, as a nation, as a people, running out of time. It seems there are many people in your boat, but you are the only one asking, how did I miss this? Perhaps the question now should be, if I may be so bold, what am I missing right now? I doubt you're missing feeling it. I believe we're all feeling it. Something is coming, and it stands a very good chance of ripping us apart in ways we have not seen since the 1850s. When I left Fox, I did a few events that no one from the AP or USA Today or anywhere paid attention to. 824, Restoring Courage in Jerusalem. 15,000 people joined me on the temple steps as the first Christian to speak there at a public event since the Romans ruled. The message was, know your principles and have the courage to stand by them, come what may. The next summer, I led 50,000 people to the Dallas Cowboys Stadium in the first spoken word event to ever be sold out in that venue. It was called Restoring Love. It was a two-day event based around service. The largest service project ever organized in U.S. history took place that weekend. The message there was, there's a vast divide and hatred is growing. We must restore love and serve one another, especially those who think they hate us. We must begin to serve and repair this divide. Last year in Birmingham, I led what the city claimed was the largest civil rights march since MLK. It was an event called Restoring Unity. All day, people met from all over the country, different faiths, income, color, and ages, to begin to restore unity based on simple principles that we all have in common. Two years ago, I saw what was coming on the streets, in the clubs, in the LGBT, uh, LGBTQ community. I asked for a meeting in New York City with GLAD, and I practically begged them to work with me to reach out to people on all sides to stand for the basic human right of homosexuals to live. They wanted to argue about wedding cakes. In 2012, I stated clearly and repeatedly that the summer of 2016 would be 1968. It would be the summer of rage. I called the GOP leadership. I spoke about it in the media until literally I had no voice left last summer. No one wanted to think the unthinkable. Well, here it is. What is coming is profound and honestly the most frightening event in my lifetime and perhaps the history of our country. If we don't begin to listen to one another, love and serve one another, it will be the most devastating series of events the world has ever known. 
Look at the interview that Frank Luntz did this weekend with Bill Maher. Like him or hate him, Frank is one of the best pollsters in the country. He sees the danger that is coming as well. Bill just wanted the crowd to cheer. Bill just wanted to win. No one is listening, and that is the problem. People everywhere are feeling the same three things. I don't feel like I even belong to my own country anymore. No one is listening to me, and I don't have any simple controls over my own life. It explains Trump. It explains Brexit. It explains ISIS. It explains Tunisia. And it explains the assassination of cops in our streets today. But it doesn't have to be this way. With just a simple return to reason, principles, decency, and unity, we cannot just restore the American dream, but we can chart a new course that is far beyond anything our founders could have ever dreamt. The future is ours. The world is going to change in deep, lasting, and profound ways. But what we do right now will make all of the difference. We must stop trying to win. We must stop trying to be right. We must stop pointing the finger at all those who were wrong. We must move toward what MLK called reconciliation. Paul, you didn't cause this, nor did I. We all did, however, together. Everyone on the planet. But 10% of just those in this country can tip the scales and lead us to safety and a much brighter future. Perhaps it begins with just the two of us. I would like to invite you down to my studio complex in Dallas. Spend the day with me and my team. Don't write a story. Just listen and let me listen to you. I think I need to perhaps listen to you as you are one of the few brave men alive in the media today. One who will actually take the time to reflect, to question, and find the truth no matter where it might take you. Where will your next question or decision take you? An open letter to Paul Singer, USA Today's Washington correspondent. We, everybody's going to be talking about politics. And everybody's going to be talking about Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. For those who will listen, I want you to know, and I would say this if Ted Cruz were going to be the candidate, Neither one of those candidates will lead us to safety. They will not provide the answer. The answer must come from us. There is trouble coming. And the more we spend our time and putting our faith in a man or a woman in Washington, the less time we will have to fix this problem. The answer is so simple. It is so simple that no one will want to do it. 
No one will think that that will make the difference. But it is the only answer. And it is returning yourself and being responsible for yourself. And as the officer said two weeks before he was shot down in Baton Rouge over the weekend, we cannot let hate infect our hearts. We must stand for truth. We must stand for justice. We, we, we cannot falter on that. We cannot compromise those things. Now is the time that people will be able to look back and say, wait a minute, he told the truth when it was really hard to tell the truth. He wasn't just going along because he thought his side could win. Now is the time that people will remember Are you a leader or not? Now this, what would totally change the look and feel of your house? Some new paint, some new furniture, some new carpet. But brand new custom blinds are the easiest and most affordable way to give your entire home a facelift. Stu got shutters. Yeah, the wood wood shutters and, I mean... The entire home of facelift is an understatement. It is. It really does. Even I mean, just one room can change the entire feel of your house. And you know, Blinds.com did this you know, in an incredible way with making it incredibly easy and changing the entire look of the house. We, we changed the drapes in our bedroom, uh, I don't know, six months, a year ago. And it... it it has totally changed the feel of the bedroom, totally. I mean, before we used to walk in the bedroom, we were like, eh. Now, just the drapes have changed the feel of the bedroom so much. It's really incredible. Yeah, our room, you know, certain, A, is much more classy than we are. Uh, but B, now doubles as a room where you get tons of sun and like a theater room because it blocks out everything. Uh, it's incredible. Now through August 2nd, save 20% off your entire order. Go to blinds.com and use the promo code BECK. That's blinds.com, promo code BECK. You'll get free samples, free shipping, and free expert advice. And save 20% through August 2nd at blinds.com with the promo code BECK. Rules and restrictions may apply. Visit blinds.com now. At our most basic level, we are all afraid of something. Progressives exploit these fears by offering us solutions based on lies and a hunger for power and control. Get the truth with Liars, a new book by Glenn Beck, available August 2nd. Pre-order now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Glenn Beck program. 888-727-BECK. Mercury. As the shootings continue, and we now know Louis Farrakhan and Nation of Islam was involved, I want to leave you with the words of Louis Farrakhan this hour. So if the federal government will not intercede in our affairs, then we must rise up and kill those who kill us. 
stop them and kill them and let them feel the pain of death that we are feeling. There's Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Well, we are finally here, the summer of rage. I said the only thing that is lacking, I've been saying this for years, the only thing that is lacking is assassinations, and they would come during the summer of rage. We had three more police officers assassinated over the weekend. They're they're, they're being executed, and uh, nobody will say what needs to be said. We will, and we start with this. Police officers, we are not your enemies. We are your friends And we deeply thank you for your service to our communities and to our families. We also are going to talk a little bit about the convention that begins today in Cleveland. And one of the most amazing things happened. We watched it unfold live on Friday. But I don't think people really understand what happened in Turkey with an attempted coup on Friday. We begin there right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Friday, a little after 3 p.m., I got an urgent email from my staff saying there was odd activity coming out of Turkey. Some of it wasn't on TV yet or in the news. Periscope and Facebook Live videos started popping up, however, showing the Turkish military closing off bridges in Istanbul. Twitter videos started to surface showing what it looks like uh, to have Turkish F-16 strafing rooftops in Istanbul and Ankara. People on Twitter began to report an explosion in Istanbul. Instantly, it was assumed globally that ISIS had struck another target. But if this were a terrorist attack, why were F-16s flying low over the Turkish cities? This was beginning to look like something else entirely, and that's when my staff reached out. We have a possible coup in Turkey. Now, to do a coup, you have to control three M's. The first M is the military. In order to initiate a coup, you have to have the full support of the military, by the uh, cell, cell phone videos broadcast through Facebook and Twitter, those behind this at the time apparently had the military in their pocket. And we watched the tanks roll down the streets. We watched the soldiers set up roadblocks. We even heard them tell citizens to go home as martial law was being imposed. Live videos showed helicopters open fire on police and government buildings. And we all watched via our iPad and cell phone each stage of the military deployment. It was moving rapidly. 
News outlets began to scramble to catch up with the activity. It was all being broadcast live on social media. And reports began to trickle out from CNN Turk and Turkey state-owned TV channel TRT. Which brings us to the second M. If you're going to have a coup, you must control the media. If a coup is to be successful, the media has to be controlled. It's why Valkyrie failed. Because Hitler got to the radio station before uh, von Stauffenberg, uh, Stauffenberg's people got there. And he said, I'm okay, I'm alive, and there's a coup going on. That's when it was over. If the wrong messages leak from the media, it derails the entire plot. So employees inside TRT began to tweet that soldiers were descending on their building. Photos on social media and videos on Periscope showed armed men making their way down towards the hallway. As Turkey's national public broadcaster, this was a pivotal moment. TRT's broadcast went down, but the silence didn't last long. A familiar face, the nighttime anchor, returned to read a statement prepared by the invaders that this was indeed a coup and they claimed full control of the government. Well, social media on Friday continued to outscoop the media. Airstrikes were hitting the parliament building. Cobra helicopters were moving down, uh, mowing down police. And step by step, the world was able to see it all live. Now, the third thing you have to have to have a successful coup is money. The question is, who was financing all of this? Who were the masterminds? Who were the money people? More on that in a second. Now, my question was, at about 310, where's Erdogan? Where is he? And rumors were running wild. Social media and the mainstream media were in the dark. Securing or even killing him would be crucial to the coup's success. Was he already dead? Well, here's what we didn't know at the time. Erdogan was on vacation at a resort in western Turkey. Just minutes before the coup go order was given, Turkish intelligence got word that something huge was about to go down, and they rushed to the president's hotel room. Special forces controlled by the coup were en route via helicopters to capture Erdogan. Erdogan's security detail knew they'd be outgunned. They assembled the presidential motorcade and prepared to make an emergency extraction. Cleverly, they used the motorcade as a decoy and escaped the hotel in ordinary vehicles, completely unnoticed. Minutes later, over 20 Turkish special forces arrived at the hotel and gunned down three of the president's staff. Erdogan would already be in the air, his destination unknown. Social media was still broadcasting the evolving coup. It seemed to be more and more successful. We were going to lose Turkey. Mainstream media within Turkey was all but neutralized, with the exception of one station they didn't turn off, CNN Turk. Now, why the orchestrators didn't shut down CNN, we don't know. Coup supporters, realizing their mistake, set off to shut down the CNN broadcast. But before they were successful, President Erdogan was able to call in to CNN Turk via FaceTime to deliver a message to his people. The message? This is a coup against me and my government. 
if you support me, take to the streets. It was one of the more surreal moments you've ever seen on TV. An exiled president pleading from help for help from an unknown location via a news network producer's cell phone. It is truly a different world. Again, through the social media post, the images and video of armed soldiers began to hit the internet. This time, they were from the CNN building. The broadcast was interrupted. The last image seen was that of an empty TV studio. And then it went dark. But the damage had already been done. Erdogan's message reached his supporters. Tens of thousands flooded into the streets and they overwhelmed the troops. And they danced on top of the tanks and the APCs. The coup's inability to secure media was a giant mistake. But more than that, more than half the military wasn't even on board with the coup. A clear split between the coup supporters within the military and those loyal to the government emerged. And as quickly as it began and progressed, it was now beginning to collapse. Technology had given us both a front row seat into the theater of a coup and at the same time making a coup's success nearly impossible. Can you have a coup anymore? By Saturday, it was all over. President Erdogan and his supporters would go on to name several conspirators, but the overall blame would all be put on one man, which brings me back to the third M, money. Erdogan accused the financier and mastermind of this coup, a man named Golan, G-U-L-E-N, Golan. He'd been an adversary of Erdogan for the past four years, and they've been involved in a quiet civil war. By the way, this is going to mean something to you because I should mention... He lives in Pennsylvania. The orchestrator, the accused orchestrator of a coup upon a, a, a NATO nation resides here in the United States. But there's more. I had my staff look him up. And it's hard to find much information on Turkish politics because, quite frankly, most people don't know much about it. But modern Turkish politics at its core has been a a struggle between secularism and Islamism. That was constitutionally what the military was set up for, that if anybody wanted to take it towards Islam, they had to shut it down. Well, in 2002, the Islamists decided to ditch their differences and unite to overthrow the secularists. And the two men that were primarily responsible for the overthrow of those who were secular were Erdogan and his then ally, Gulen. At the time, they had enough in common that they could join. They saw the government as infringing on their beloved Islam. And through their partnership, they were able to purge the government and the military of all the adversaries and maneuver Erdogan's party into power. Now, Gulen, who lives in Pennsylvania, is a a Muslim imam. 
but he also believes in democracy. He believes in women's rights and education. Well, pretty soon, Erdogan's neo-Ottoman vision began to collide with Gulen's idea of a democratic Turkey. So he stopped supporting Erdogan. He started accusing them of corruption. Erdogan retaliated, leading a campaign to shut down Gulen's business interest in Turkey and throughout the world. In fact, many of the dictatorial um, uh, powers that we have seen Erdogan take over the last few years are all tied to him trying to get this guy. So he's been accused. Now, they've arrested 3,000 judges and prosecutors, but they're all the ones linked to uh, Gulen. The, the exact day after the coup took place, somehow or another, he was able to come up with a names of 3,000 people who didn't participate in it but were enemies of the state. I'm not counting the 3,000 military officers that have been arrested for their involvement. So 6,000 people are now under arrest, purged from the military and the Turkish government. Theories on who orchestrated this. Gulen turned around and said, it was Erdogan, false flag. Erdogan is accusing Gulen. Regardless of who started it, Erdogan is conducting his own counter coup now. And he's liquidating anybody who's standing against him. And the scary thing is for us, this is why it matters to you. Erdogan is directly blaming a person who is under the protection of the United States. He's already demanding extradition. Turkish labor minister went as far as to say the United States is the ultimate orchestrator of this coup. The rumor is the F-16 that recently shot down the Russian fighter jet was one under the influence of the supporters of the coup. Simply put, the blame goes to the man who is currently being protected by America. Is this going to work out well? Erdogan reached out to Putin over the weekend. They've scheduled a face-to-face meeting. The more you look into it, the more guilty we look, by the way, with our relationship with Gulen. Turkish government finished the extradition order for Gulen on Thursday, one day before the coup. Were his supporters nervous about this? Was that why they decided to rush the plan? Was that why it was so sloppy? By the way, the Daily Caller also has published an article stating the strange ties between Gulen and Hillary Clinton. Keep in mind, this was long before the coup. Apparently, Gulen supports um, uh, the Clinton Foundation. Mm. An email was revealed that Huma Abedin received a request from Gulen supporters requesting a favor after a giant donation was made. We don't know what the favor was, but we look very guilty in our support. But remember, Gulen has been Erdogan's scapegoat for the past several years. Every time he seeks power, he blames Gulen and his supporters. Erdogan may not, may have not started this. Maybe he did. We don't know. But I can guarantee you one thing, he's going to finish it. And he'll grow more powerful as a result. 
As Turkey transitions into a new Ottoman Empire, they also maintained the second largest military in all of NATO, second only to us. On Friday, the world witnessed an amazing thing. A coup broadcast live on social media for the very first time. But what people didn't realize, they were watching the world become a very different and very dangerous place. Now this, you can hire an expensive consultant, you know, or give another speech. Uh, You know, what's the best way to exhibit your company's values? I think it's on who you hire, who you surround yourself with. But if you're a small businessman, how do you do it? Honestly, how do you keep your head above water? How do you find the best candidate? I mean, last thing you have time for is going and, um, you know, writing out a job description and then posting it to the websites. And I mean, good heavens. That's how the Jeffies of the world get hired. It's exactly right. <laughs> With ZipRecruiter, you can make sure that Jeffy never works at your building. <laughs> you can post to 100 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook, Twitter, and I believe Jugs is where you. <laughs> <laughs> All with a single click. It's three Gs. Uh, find a... Uh, Find candidates in any city, any industry, nationwide. Just post once and watch the qualified, or in Jeffy's case, unqualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Just quickly screen the candidates, rate them, and hire that right person fast. ZipRecruiter, we use it. 800,000 businesses use it nationwide. ZipRecruiter, try it for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Again, it's free. Try it. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Program. Anybody see uh, a movie this weekend? Uh, yeah, I saw. Uh, I bet you saw Infiltrator. I really wanted to see Infiltrator with Brian Cranston and did not. I tried to. Oh. I was like, "Hey, let's go see Infiltrator." We ended up at Mike and Dave have wed- need wedding dates. Oh, you, oh good. Oh God. my God, <laughs> oh, that looks so bad. What is wrong with you? Is it bad? It had its moments, but it was, you know, I mean... All those movies have a moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're paying 8 or 10 or $12. You want more than a moment. Well, you know what else I had other than a moment? Uh, food, because it was a dine-in theater, and I will see anything at a uh, Did you go to that new one? Uh, so I did nice. go to the... Yes, <laughs> which is, what's the new one? That's awesome. Well, the one that... The, the, the theater. The theater. Uh, yeah, yeah, the or whatever it is. But whatever. It, yeah. I, I don't know that we want to name it, but it was... Uh, there, there are a lot of them around. Yes. There are several... The best uh, one. I mean, there's one that's always $12, except for the very first show they consider that the matinee. Everything else is twelve dollars, no matter when you go. But I, I would because, pay, but it's nice. I would pay anything it's, to it's, sit in a movie theater and eat food. 
it's really there's no limit. I have to tell you, I went to good food. I went to another movie theater recently. We went to see uh, what was that movie? uh, Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water, and it was just a regular stadium. Don't go to those anymore. I will not go to them. Oh my gosh, we don't either. And and we went and and I was like, whoa, this is like Mexico. I mean, they were it's nice okay. just a few years ago. I know. Now it's like, uh, this is this is horrible. What kind of third world country do I live in? bad. I mean, the arms go up and you can leave. Oh, I know. They're nice. Stuff. They're nice, but it feels like. And not too long what? ago, the big deal was that. And yeah. stadium seating. And now it's like, well, does it have a rocker recliner? Because yeah. I'm not going with it. If it doesn't have my lazy boy there and they're delivering and food they're, to and me. Food. <laughs> and obviously gourmet food. And personal foot massages, as you well, will. Well, yes. Sure. I think that's obviously something we need. It is actually getting to that level, though. We're like, it's, you know what the biggest part of this is? As much as I love the food and, and to get good. I mean, it's like if you don't have one of these near you, it's like good quality, like bar and grill level food. Sure. Oh, yeah. The really movie. good. But, uh, you know, the biggest thing is the sign seating. Yes. I know oh, yeah. I can show yes. up right when the movie starts and yes. in a good seat. Me too. That is a huge difference to me. I me mean, too. I, that, that's life-changing. Have you seen the new the new one, really new in Russia, that opened up with beds to watch yes. it in? You get a, like a queen-size bed. You, you're asking, ask me a serious question. You've <laughs> <laughs> got actual beds you watch the movie from. Awesome. Then you're sleeping in a bed that someone else is just... <laughs> yeah, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> saw Ghostbusters over the weekend. Let me just give you the summary of my review that I posted on Facebook. This is a movie in search of a hit. It's apparent, apparent from the opening titles that Sony intends on making this a big money series. In the opening credits, you will see that there is a new Ghostbusters production house. Why? Why is there a Ghostbusters production house? This is like making a movie because you want to sell plush toys. Here's an idea, Sony. Make a good movie first, and if people demand more, great. What? If you don't believe me, stay after the credits. A not funny, not clever, and really not well done tease that includes Zool. It looks good enough to air on the Disney Channel. (laughs) My kids liked it, but they also love Lab Rats and Jesse. This is a reverse of Elon Musk and every other great uh, creative. Make a great car first and then worry about the dealership problems. I have news for Sony. If this is as good as it gets, the only big money over time will be the money you'll spend trying to rewrite scripts and pilot pitches of bad TV shows for failing networks that will really destroy the brand. Imagine if everyone in the first Ghostbusters movie had the on-screen connection and authenticity of Ernie Hudson. I'm sorry to slam Ernie, but if everything would have been at his level, I don't think we would have treasured Ghostbusters 1. (laughs) This is the Ernie Hudson of the Ghostbusters series. (laughs) 
again, I wanted to love this movie. I'm a huge Melissa McCarthy fan. She's the funniest actress alive today, and it's not hard for her to be funny. Your writers really have to work overtime to wreck scenes with her. But, oof, who wrote the line, Are you ready to save New York City? Oh, dear heavens. Still, she was funny, but she was the bright spot in this movie. I don't want to say the others were horrible. They weren't. It was just the combination of everyone on screen, the plot, the writing, each having the memorability of the greatest parts of Ghostbusters 1, but only those parts that featured the guy that most people refer to as the black guy. This is the combination of mediocrity that made this reboot. Ghost, Ghostbusters, Winston Zeddemore's Revenge. I didn't think it's a blah, 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 blah. Who's Winston Zeddemore? Who? Exactly. <laughs> the black guy. Oh, really? Ghostbusters. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Winston Ernie, Zeddemore? That was his that was his name in the movie. <laughs> in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and uh his Ernie Hudson is real. Ernie Hudson is his real name. Ah. He came in off the street looking Some, for a job and got hired right then. Yeah. Just watch the It was I mean, here's what set me off. Here's what set me off. And so I may have given it a tougher review because the the critics loved it. They they didn't love it. Well, they were, uh, they did loved it. They loved it more than the crowd. Yeah, seventy. Yeah, seventy three percent critics, uh, which is pretty good for a comedy. It's not bad on Rotten Tomatoes. Fifty seven percent from the audience. All the only time you ever see that when critics have a better opinion than the audience is in an art house, something art house, documentary. It was all women. They couldn't say popcorn flick that never happens. I go, I go in and I'm like, why do the credit? Why do the critics like it? In literally in the first. Scene in the first two minutes, I think it's in the first 90 seconds. The first two jokes are this guy's giving a tour of a house and he says, and uh, this is the first house with the anti-immigrant fence uh, to keep the Irish out. And I'm like, oh, dear God. Then (laughs) the the very next Irish out. Yes. Then the very next joke is and in this room it is rumored to be the place where P.T. P. Barnum first decided to enslave elephants. And I'm like, well, I know well why the critics are like it. Come on. Then yeah, the first, it did pretty well. It did. I mean, it made it'll die now. 46 my wife liked it. After, my kids liked after, it. After this week, it'll be, it won't. 46 million, though. This is no, a production budget, $144 million. Right. Right. No. And it only so, finished number two. Yeah. It's the, first week out. It finishes to a movie finished, that's been out for two weeks. What finished one? Secret Life of Pets. Oh, yeah. I, my it. kids see that. They, they say that's great. My really? kids like it, too. But Yeah. I mean, uh. yeah they like rab, lab rats, too. Right. Like, they freaking love Team Mumi Zumi as well. It's good television. Lab rats and Jesse? That's good television. Oh. You know what? It, can't take it. That, that, that rots your brain. Oh, lab rats does. Oh, it oh, rots man. your brain. Jesse is. I don't know. I don't even know those shows. Um, but you're, you will. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, you were talking about, though, how they want to make it into this big franchise. There's a p- production company behind it. The weird thing about Ghostbusters, it, it actually wasn't a particularly successful franchise. I mean, here is one of the the first movie was incredibly successful and universally loved. The second one. They was. only made one sequel of it, which actually didn't do that well. Right. And then that was it. 
they kind of just turned the, the the franchise off for all these years. So I don't know why they necessarily would believe that this is going to be this huge. I don't either. Because I think the the next mark my words, the next um, uh, phase of entertainment. And remember, I'm the guy who said in 2008, you watch religious movies like Ben Hur and the Ten Commandments are coming back. Right. The next wave that you will start to notice is 1980s. Anything that reminds you of the 1980s. It's why I think they actually screwed this movie up. Because I think they were trying to do an ode to the 1980s. And so some of the outfits were reminiscent of the 1980s. They didn't use their cell phones. They used actually hardline phones. Little things that most people probably didn't understand or didn't even see. But right. it, it was very reminiscent of the 80s in its, in its entire approach, which I think made it inauthentic for today. Because it wasn't 80s enough. But I think this is, again, people hearkening back to the past and like, oh, I remember the 80s. Those were good times. It wasn't and, 80s enough, but it wasn't modern enough either. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you're going to be modern, let's do it. Yeah, if you're going to do, I'll tell you, one of the best books I've read in a long time is Ready Player One. And Steven Spielberg bought this book um, a few years back uh, to make a movie. And it's going to be the most expensive movie of all time, just based on the amount of rights that he's going to have to buy to make this movie right. Because it's all in the 1980s. And it's all like the characters. Some of the characters are Max Headroom and, and, and uh, you, there are scenes of uh, war games and everything else. And it's all 1980s city. So I, I, think, that's, I think that's what they were uh, thinking. By the way, speaking of Spielberg, also saw this weekend with the kids. Uh, we did a double feature. Uh, and uh, I was pushing BFG? for a triple. Yeah. Yeah, I saw BFG. What did you think? I enjoyed it. I thought it was better than the critics gave it credit for, that's for sure. Really? Critics didn't like it? They, they, they kind of panned it. You're kidding me. And it didn't do that well at the theaters. Oh, man, I think I this thought is, it was cool. I thought it was, I thought it was great. My daughter loved it. Yeah, I thought it was absolutely great. It was really magical. It was very tender, very yeah. funny. My daughter loved it because that's, I mean, it's in dream world. Man. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, it, it was total Spielberg. And, you know, I walked out and I, I said to my older daughters, they said, Dad, did you see it? And I said, yeah. And they said, what would you think? And I said, I, I don't know what Americans will think anymore because I just don't, I can't judge what America, <laughs> I, I don't know who they are anymore. Um, but um, I really loved it because I thought it was charming and I thought that it's probably how I would have felt about Mary Poppins when Mary Poppins yes. came out. But it's fighting, uh, you know, pets and it's fighting Nemo. So I mean, it's it's up against those. It's be tough for them. It's for totally them. different than those. I know. It is. It's. I know. It, it, it is truly. It's. It has the magic and the classic weight um, that feels like a Mary Poppins. I mean, it, it really feels like something that our kids will be watching for generations to come. They very well may. Yeah. I mean, it it is really well done. And and um, do you remember when Polar Express came out? Yeah, that's exactly the one I was thinking of was yeah. Polar Express. And Polar Express came out, and it was so, I mean, every, nothing seemed quite right. Still good classic, though, man. I know, but, but the animation, the, you know, mm-hmm. the Tom Hanks character just wasn't right yet. This is 
unbelievable what they do now. It's truly unbelievable how real stuff looks. Felt the same way about Mike and Dave need wedding dates. Uh, <laughs> it was amazing how realistic their search for wedding dates was. That's uh, I've never seen any of those movies. <laughs> <laughs> they all have their fu- a couple of funny scenes and and then maybe trail off at other parts. That uh, was uh, what you would expect. It was like they kept saying like from the writers of The Hangover, uh, and then you're like, Are you sure, you didn't mean the writers of The Hangover three. Because I think it's it felt more like The Hangover Three than it did uh, than it did the, the original. Well, did yes. it have dot 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 after Hangover? <laughs> the writers over <laughs> Hangover. hangover. <laughs> You're probably right. we don't need to we don't need to say which Hangover, do we? Right. All right, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, what we're headed for. Um, I, I want you to read a Facebook post that I. Uh, wrote last night. It's an it's an open letter to the uh, the head writer of um, USA Today in Washington, and I want you to read that because in there I read it on the air this morning last hour, and in there I say some pretty significant things, um, and you know. For those with eyes and those with ears, hear and 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 read. Um, it, it, we are in. We're we're at the beginning of it now. I think we're at the beginning, as Pat said, a possible race war. Uh, I think we're at the beginning of a possible civil war. Uh, I don't see anything backing us up from this this brink. Um, you saw martial law happening in. Turkey, and after that was over, people started talking on the networks about, well, what would we need to do for martial law here? Um, we had Trump on today. Uh, he was saying we have to just start turning our neighbors in. The way to solve this is people have to start turning their neighbors in. And to some degree, I kind of understand that. Um, that's not the answer. Uh, how many how many times did they try to t- turn the guy in in Orlando over and over and over again? It's the government, and you know I did enough study about what made America great and what people say about us on the positive things, trying to figure out what is the secret of America. And the one thing you'll always hear from people who come from overseas, they'll always say, "People here are so friendly and they're so trusting." And I looked into that. Why did they say that? Why isn't everybody, why are we different? And I believe it's because we haven't been told to spy on our neighbors. We haven't had a Gestapo. We haven't had a government that was rounding our neighbors up. We've never had to hide our neighbors or hide from our neighbors. And uh, if we start doing this, if we start living this life like Europe, we are going to suffer the same fate we, we've got to remain who we are. And who we are are rugged individualists that understand self-reliance. I want to tell you about Goldline. The number of bankruptcies has have jumped to levels not seen since the year of the, um, the crash. Uh, the National Association of Credit Managers reported on Friday <clears throat> the amount of credit being extended to companies has now fallen 
to 2010 levels when companies aren't borrowing money to expand and more and more are declaring bankruptcy, the economy is limping no matter what anybody says, and we are at the brink. I told you last week, the government is, is and the banks are starting to trap your money, and they've already rewritten. Ask your bank to see the new rules. The banks have already rewritten the rules for what is called a bank, a bail-in. If you read the fine print, they've already put that in there, that they can take a certain percentage of your money and just give everybody a haircut if the bank is in trouble. Well, I got news for you guys. The banks are in trouble. They're in worse shape than they were in 2008. The crash I warned about that the Fed stopped is only bigger now, and it's coming. I want you to call Goldline. Call Goldline and find out if gold or silver is right for you. I know the people who are answering the phones. They're good, decent people. They're not going to steer you wrong. They're going to give you all of the important information so you know exactly what you're buying. They will help find the right product for you. But may I suggest you talk to them about their legal tender unit. I have these. These are individual things. You can keep them in your wallet. You can get, break them up in the family because they're small. They're tenth of an ounce gold coins. They're made by the Australian Mint. Please call Goldline, 1-866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Mercury Museum presents Liars or Liberty, featuring thousands of artifacts from early America, World War II, pop culture, and more. All on display at the Mercury Studios in Las Colinas, Texas, August 5th through the 7th. Visit glennbeck.com slash liars or liberty for tickets and details. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Eight 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 seven two seven Beck. It's a show. Welcome to it. Uh, just talking about the uh, the conventions that are coming up. Um, GOP one starts today, right? Today. I can't wait. Man, yeah, lots of going to be riveted. No, you know what? I tell you, there, I I think this is going to be a good convention. I mean, this is what it should be. This is what Trump does does best. Yeah. So he should be able to, you know. Put, put a good convention on. This is this is what he does. He's a showman. We'll have all the clips of the speeches and everything in case you don't uh, see all of it uh, throughout the week. I can't wait for the Tim Tebow speech that's not going to happen. Right? He apparently was never even invited. Right. How did that happen? I don't know. That was a really weird thing. Yeah. And uh, Ted Cruz speaks tomorrow. No idea what he's going to say. Um, we'll see tomorrow. And Mike Lee is at the convention. We join him next
Well, hello, America. Welcome to the Glenn Beck program. It is Monday. The convention has begun. So, where do we go from here? Mike Lee joins us right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Wow, uh, there's a quote that just came out from the guy who wrote The Art of the Deal. It's Donald Trump. No, he didn't write it. Donald Trump wrote The Art of the Deal. No, he didn't. He put his name on it, but he didn't write it. So the guy who wrote The Art of the Deal, which is one of your favorite books, or was, wasn't it? When I was a kid, yeah. I read it when I was, like, I don't know, 13 or 12 or something. Donald Trump was your hero. I loved the guy back in the day. This has been a change in that at some level. You might be able to detect occasionally. Uh, But, yeah, he's out, uh, you know, and it's no surprise now that they're finding all these people from Trump's past that don't like him. I mean, the media is going to do that. But where were they in February? Right. They they were not available. This guy apparently was not available back then. (laughs) But uh, uh, he said, um, this is the guy who wrote The Art of the Deal. Quote, I put lipstick on a pig. I feel a deep sense of remorse that I contributed to presenting Trump in a way that brought him wider attention and made him more appealing than he is. I genuinely believe that if this (laughs) is amazing, I genuinely believe that if Trump wins and gets the nuclear codes, there is an excellent possibility that it will lead to the end of civilization. Wow, man. (laughs) So that's not exactly an endorsement. (laughs) It's, it's a one step shy, <laughs> one step shy of an endorsement. Of an endorsement. endorsement. Uh, Mike Lee, he's at the convention. How are you, Mike? I'm doing great, and I've got a question though. Who reads the art of the deal when they're 13 years old? That's my first question. <laughs> Losers, oh, Mike. Wait a Losers. minute, Mike Lee. You're not going. Should we look into what you were reading when you were 13, you little geek? <laughs> well, the, the Federalist Papers, of course, like every other 13 year old. <laughs> That's exactly right. So don't try to out geek it here. Don't try to make him a bigger geek than you are, because you are the king of the geek people, Mike, and you know it. I appreciate that very much. That's a, that's a very <laughs> By the way, my apologies. Yesterday, I said if Ted Cruz endorses Donald Trump tomorrow in his speech, it will be official that I will have no one I can trust in Washington. I said that on Meet the Press, and I was deluged with email. Has Mike Lee done something wrong? <laughs> no. Mike Lee, I, I wasn't thinking of Mike yesterday. Uh, but Mike well, I'm, is... I'm easy to forget. I'm easy to no, forget. So I'll, I'll no, one that. of the guys that you can really trust. So you're at the convention. Can you tell me what happened with the, um, with the votes? Because I've heard it from both sides that the, uh, the GOP did what they did to the Ron Paul people last time and just squashed and actually were holding up signs, Trump people, GOP people vote no on this. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. And, and in fact... The sign said Trump slash RNC vote no. So this was uh, it was surreal. It was bizarro world in which the Trump campaign had teamed up with the RNC establishment powers that be to completely shut out calls for reform from grassroots conservatives. I, I was stunned. I've never seen anything like it. OK, now this actually is not affecting this convention only. This can this actually affects the grassroots campaigns. Um. The next time around for 2020, does it not? Yeah, 
Yeah, that's right. And, you know, we were calling for some reforms, reforms that we think would help conservatives, would help grassroots activists within the party to make sure that they have a voice and to make sure that party establishments at the national level and at the state and local level can't squelch, can't overtake the voices of grassroots activists everywhere. And we were shut out. It was unfortunate. And that's one of the reasons why I intend to vote against the rules package today, first as a member of the Rules Committee, where I serve with my wife, Sharon, and then again as a delegate on the floor of the convention. So, so Mike, um, what's going to happen this week? Anything? I don't know. I mean, look, I, I'm taking this a day at a time right now. I'm taking it an hour at a time. Uh, we do hear from a lot of delegates from all around the country, people of every uh, background, at least every uh, type of background uh, uh, from among the delegate community, um, who, who are saying, look, we deserve better than this. I, I, don't, I don't want to support this rules package. I don't want to do something that strengthens uh, the, the RNC if that means weakening the power of the people who really run the party, the volunteers around the country, people who just care about the country and are serving that way. So um, I think it could be close. Uh, the, 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 the casual observer w- would no doubt predict that the odds are strongly against us, but stranger things have happened. So, um, Mike, um, you know, I know your book, uh, Our Lost Constitution, came out in paperback um, here recently, and it is, it is really well worth the read uh, for anybody who really deeply cares about the Constitution um, because it is truly hanging by a thread. I mean... I used to think eight years ago we were hanging by a thread, but but we're we're there at the end. Um, either one of these candidates, um, because I, I said this to Ted, Ted may have to pull an Abraham Lincoln if he were the president. He may have to pull an Abraham Lincoln and suspend some things to get control. But I know Ted would let it back. Go, he'd let it go again and restore the Constitution. I'm not sure that. Um, I, I don't know the character enough to, to see that these guys aren't power hungry that could release the constitution do you think that's a real possibility with what we saw in turkey and what we're seeing overseas and what we know is coming with you know people were calling for martial law this weekend in some cities because of the what was what's happened our cops are being executed that's right look to answer your question this is always a possibility it is always a possibility here or anywhere in the world because of human nature look human beings are fallible. They make mistakes. They're not inherently evil, but they make mistakes, and that's why we need constitutions. And that's why I wrote my book. I I wrote Our Lost Constitution because I want to reinvigorate uh, the Constitution as part of America's political discourse. That's why I tell these stories behind these these forgotten or, or neglected or lost provisions of the Constitution. And I tell the stories behind them. I tell the story about how Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, you know, the protagonist of this awesome Broadway play that's doing so well, that uh, soundtrack my wife and I listen to all the time because it's awesome. Tell the story of how Hamilton. Oh, my gosh. Listen, the geekdom a, just doesn't stop. He's now. Oh, no, it he's doesn't now get the, better no, than that, Glenn. It no, doesn't he's get now, better. I know Broadway um, show tunes are always cool. <laughs> I mean, up until now, uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat has been my no, favorite I, musical. Now it's Hamilton. No, okay, uh, because, good. <laughs> in part because Hamilton is the scored musical of our lost constitution. Anyway, I, uh, but I tell this great story about how Hamilton gets up on June 18th, 1787 at the convention. He calls for a monarchy. He actually calls for a monarchy. Now, there are a lot of theories about why he did it. He had kind of a man crush on George Washington. That was cool. But, you know, mm-hmm. it, this cost 
Hamilton, the ability ever to be elected president of the United States, it's where we think we got the natural born citizen clause. They put that in there, we think, to prevent Hamilton from ever becoming president because he hadn't been born in the United States. Anyway, wow. it's an awesome book. It tells the stories of uh, where these provisions of the Constitution came from, the stories of how they've been neglected, and then it gives you a formula for how to restore it. And that's exactly what we need, because as you point out, it, it, we're never more than a few steps away from losing our freedoms. Because that's no, what I, I tell does. you, Mike, I, I tell you, we're, we are closer than a few steps away. I mean, um, I'm having um, meetings in the next few days um, here at the studios with some some very deep thinkers, and and I want to include you in some of this soon. About what steps can we take? What do we need to do to be able to preserve, even if it means just preserving it in our kids? Um, and everyone I talk to says that understands really where we are. This it's too late. It's too late. It's too late. Um, what what can we late. do at this point? It's not too late, Glenn, and that, and that is the message of my book. That is the message of our lost Constitution. It is not too late. We can still do this. We can still restore it. But in order to How? do wait, that— Wait, 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 wait. How? Because, Mike, we have people—we have people on both sides of the aisle, and a lot of Americans are going along with it. When that happened in Orlando, they were talking about um, curtailing the first, second, fourth, fifth, and sixth amendment— we had people on both sides talking about doing that in Congress. Yeah. How do oh, you yeah. save it when people don't even know what their rights are and are so willing just to give them up? We, we save it because most of the people believe and understand intuitively that freedom is worth preserving. And all they need is the ability to recognize deprivations of the Constitution when they arise. And just as importantly, uh, to be able to, to, to trigger three words. This is why. This is why we have the Fourth Amendment. This is why we have the Legislative Powers Clause. This is why we have the Origination Clause. They need to be able to have those words triggered. This is why the Constitution is there. When they hear the stories behind why we have the Fourth Amendment, for example, and I tell the story about John Wilkes, this member of British Parliament in the late 1700s. He was arrested and subjected to these horribly invasive searches by King George III, just for criticizing George the king of England. And he fought for and he won his freedom. He fought for and he won a money damages suit against the king's ministers. And he became a hero on both sides of the Atlantic. And his cause gave birth to our Fourth Amendment. And uh, so when, when, when they see under the Patriot Act and other provisions of law, the NSA and, and other agencies of the federal government doing things that are inconsistent with liberty, with privacy, with our constitutional rights, people will say, this is why we have the Fourth Amendment, and they can stop it. But, but to, to do that, Glenn, people have to know the stories. Our law uh, okay, so, gives so, them the stories, and it, and it gives them the tools they need to reinvigorate the constitutional discourse in American politics. Mike, I, I agree with you, and you know that there's, I mean, I know the power of a story, um, and you're exactly right. However, we have a great number and a growing number of university students who say, yeah, the freedom of speech, but I just saw a poll last last week that says a majority of college students are now saying that there need to be many more limits on the freedom of speech. They'll say, they'll see the, the rhetoric out there that disagrees or makes them uncomfortable, and they'll say, this is why we need limits on the freedom of speech. 
Yeah, that's right. Okay, so th- there are people who will answer some poll questions that way, and that is alarming, to be sure. I don't want to diminish the severity of that concern, not for one single second. But still, they can be won back over. They can be won back over when they hear stories about the founding of our country, when they hear stories like those I tell in our lost constitution about why it is that we have these protections in the first place. We can still win this, but we've got to win the conversation. We've got to have the conversation in the first place. That conversation hasn't been taking place because our schools don't teach civics anymore like they used to. They don't teach the stories behind our constitution. And that's what this book does. And I hope through this book and through other conversations that will flow from it, we will be able to win the argument. But I need your help, and I need the help of your listeners everywhere to, to reinstate the Constitution as the basic talking point around American political uh, discussions, or around elections, uh, around everything that happens relative to our government. There, is, there, there are very few books. Um, in fact, let me rephrase this. I am going to start um, talking to you about books that you must have on your bookshelf that I don't have anything to do with. But books that you must have on your bookshelf um, because you need to plant them in the, in the hearts of everyone you know, but especially your family, this is one of them. Get it, Mike Lee, Our Lost Constitution, The Willful Subversion of America's Founding Document, Our Lost Constitution. Make sure that is on your bookshelf. Mike, speaking of elections, as you, as you just were, um, let's talk about yours coming up in, in November, your re-election bid. Uh, something kind of interesting in in Utah, where uh, you're running against somebody who just made history, right? A grocery, a transgendered glo- grocery store clerk is running against you for the Senate seat in November. Is that a good thing, or is that? I mean, I can't imagine her beating you at this point. Um, hopefully, you're 80 points ahead of her. <laughs> I can't say that I'm 80 points ahead, but I can say this. I am running a hard campaign. I'm not taking anything for granted. Good. I look forward to a robust discussion of the issues this November. Yep. It has nothing to do with the identity or the background of any one candidate, whether it's me or someone else. Right. It has to do with what kind of country we want, not just the kind of country we want later this week or, or uh, next month, the kind of country we want a year from now, 10 years from now, 50, 100 years from now. We it's, want our descendants to be able to look back and say, we're glad that uh, we kept the system that was put in place for us. There was a time when that system was imperiled, and uh, there were some people who fought to keep it, and we're grateful to them. That's what I'm looking forward it, to. It's interesting, Mike, that, that Democrats who run in Utah and have a really good shot are usually named Matheson or Owens, and, and are are somewhat close to the middle of the road. You know, they're much more conservative than your normal Democrats across the country. This person is, she kind of rode in on the, on the Sanders think, wave, right? Which I think is, which is poses amazing. a, which I think poses a real threat. I, I, yeah. It's, it, it would be scary what's going on. Even yeah. in Utah, yeah. the, the Bernie Sanders socialism is I, I connecting would, with people. I would take her really seriously, Mike. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Mm. There's no question about that. And, Look, um, this is um, an indication of the fact that uh, people are, are reaching different conclusions about what their government ought to look like. And I welcome mm-hmm. the opportunity to draw that contrast. Uh, do we really want more government? Is, is that really where we're going? Nope. Is what we need more government? People telling us uh, where to go to the doctor, how to pay for it. Is it really what we want? 
Uh, do we want more power at the top? Do we want more power being taken away from the people at the state and local level, put in Washington, and then within the federal government, most of that power being consolidated within an executive branch regulatory bureaucracy that costs the American people, mostly the poor and middle class, $2 trillion so, a year. Is that what we want? I don't okay. think so. It's a shame that people can't help out. I mean, you know, if they wanted to <laughs> quickly get your plug in, like, <laughs> is there a way? In. Is there a way yeah. where people could yeah, go ahead? What is oh, it? Yeah, donate. You know, it's huh. curious. You, it's funny you asked that. Come there on, is come a way. on. You can go. You can go to a website on this thing called the World Wide Web. Uh, yes. At, at, at LeeForSenate.com. LeeForSenate.com. And seriously, right. I can use all the help I can get. Okay. Uh, people around Mike, the country I'm, are inclined to think Utah is a safe. State, Mike, uh, nothing's going to happen there. Uh, com. I've got uh, I've got literally 10 seconds. Are you going to endorse and vote for Donald Trump? Uh, I have not endorsed him. That has not changed. I don't see that changing anytime soon. I would love to be won over. I would love to see him embracing federalism okay. and separation of powers. I'd love to see him talking about returning power to the people. I haven't okay. heard that from him. Thank you very much, Mike Lee, uh, Senator from uh, Utah. My Patriot Supply, with faith and family and preparedness, we can survive anything. Notice what I just said. With faith, with family and preparedness, we can survive anything. The preparedness is important, meaning you need to do it before. Preparedness. Are you prepared for what is ahead? Have you done the work while everyone else is laughing and pointing fingers and involved in other things? This is the time we need to really get serious about saving ourselves and our country, quite honestly. This food, right now, you can, if you mention my name, they're going to send you a four-week food supply for $99. That's over 50% off the regular price. Four weeks of food for $99, over 50% off the regular price. Call 800-200-7163, 800-200-7163. Go to preparewithglenn.com. Limit to per caller. It's preparewithglenn.com. Do it now. We have one. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. to the Glenn Beck program. So uh, here's why we're talking about this transgendered grocery store clerk that is now the Democratic nominee for Senate in Utah. She won 60 to 40 over her, her primary opponent. Okay. And, and I'm telling you, this is the protest vote. How many people have you heard that have said that are Donald Trump supporters, at least the early ones, that were like, right. just burn the whole thing down. Yes. I, I, you know what? I just want to burn the whole thing down. It was the argument for going with Trump. Correct. That is the same mentality, except she's on the left. And that's why I think she is a real danger. If people don't, if Republicans don't go out and, Better. and, and vote in Utah in droves, that protest vote, she could be your senator. Because people will just laugh it off. And I'm telling you, there's enough people that would go, oh, I'd love to see that. How are they going to deal with that? Yeah. It's like it's a reality show. And they don't care because they think they're all morons and losers and, and, uh, and, uh, and corrupt anyway. The uh, latest poll has Mike Lee up by 
14 points. 14, 14 points. points. And with it the way up by 80 points. Way that Trump way that Trump is polling in Utah, yeah. you're going to have a lot of people staying home. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it. He Help could him. lose. He could lose Lee for Senate. Big time. Boy, oh boy. When when a, when Mike Lee is in trouble in Utah, the GOP has gigantic problems. Yep. Really good responses uh, yesterday. I was shocked because I thought I I, I wanted to get on and I, you know I wanted to say nice things about Mike Pence and uh, and uh, and then I was on Meet the Press yesterday and it was seven o'clock in the morning at my house and the generator of the giant satellite truck had woken all my neighbors up oh, know, starting at five. I bet they like that. They love that. Yeah, they love that. I get notes and people stop by to bring me cookies. Yeah. And like, hey, anytime you want to have Meet the Press on Sunday morning at 5 a.m., just start those generators up anytime. Right. Love it. Anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, I'm, I'm sitting there and, um, and uh, they're coming out of, they're coming right out of the top of the show and they have a piece about how the autopsy for the GOP after um, Romney was basically do everything opposite of what Donald Trump is doing right now. In fact, and that was Donald Trump's criticism at the time, too, was to say like he right. was too hard on illegal immigrants and uh, he was uh, tossing away minority groups uh, by his harsh actions, by Romney's harsh actions. Right. And so uh, and Reince gets on and, and he, he starts in on how, no, the GOP, you know, they're living up to that autopsy and they're... Are you kidding me? They're the Donald Trump is getting better and all of this stuff. And um, he just it it just I don't I didn't believe a word he said. And so uh, when they came to me right out of that, I, 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 I didn't even I, I well, listen, here's what happened. Joining me now is Glenn Beck. He's the founder of the conservative website and TV network, The Blaze. Beck has been a vocal critic of Donald Trump. Trump right from the start. And while he has no love for Hillary Clinton, he says he can't bring himself to vote for Trump. Mr. Beck, welcome back to Meet the Press. Can't vote for, thank you, can't vote for Hillary either. I am one of these people that, um, I, I mean, honestly, I was listening to that interview and I feel like the, the world of Blade Runner makes more sense than this one. I, I, I don't even know where to begin. We're living in such a fantasy world where nothing makes sense anymore. I, 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 I really, there are, jumped out at you from, from the chairman there. The what jumped thing, out at you the most? The, the whole, yeah. the whole thing did. Um, I, I don't even, honestly, I don't even know where to begin with that. It, it is, uh, uh, remarkable to me that 
uh, both parties are so out of touch with the American people, both, both, both Democrats, Republicans, and independents, we all feel the same way. Three things. I don't belong to anything anymore, and I want to feel like I belong to something. I don't even feel like I, I, my country is even the same. I don't belong to anything. Nobody's listening to me, and I don't have any levers that control my own life. I can't control my own income. I can't control my own destiny. I, I can't even control my own farm if I'm a farmer. It, it, this is not going to last, um, and these guys are just playing a game. They're playing a show. You know that Reince Priebus knows better than what he just said. You know that he does not, he is, he is not looking at the autopsy and going, well, I think this is great. We're doing the same thing we did with Mitt Romney, except much, much worse. It, so what should be insane. done? Uh, was, uh, say, that's, that shouldn't surprise anybody. We've been saying it from the beginning. No, I actually, I was really surprised because I, 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 it's not what I planned on saying at all. And uh, you're going to say things, good things about Pence, right? Yeah, and I said some nice Pence. things about Pence, but not yeah. really. I mean, I just said, you know, you know, he's a, he's a good guy, and you know, he's he's yeah. done a good job in Indiana, and and uh, but he's also a guy who's told me he wasn't for Donald Trump. So I told America that when he yeah. endorsed Ted Cruz. Yeah, but I mean that that changes. But that's not you know when you endorse somebody that can change and you can go okay. But well, Cruz not if you anymore. So I mean, yeah, but not if you believe that he's a danger. I mean you know you, you believe he's a danger. Why 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 would he, why do you hmm? you believe who what what I don't know what you're saying. Oh, okay, maybe we should so, play more of the uh, Meet the Press. No, I don't think we need any more of that. It was it was wonderful and delightful. You see, this is this is a that was also by the way a good example of Glenn's ADD in action. And that, like, he's he's got something he's planning on talking about. Meet the Press, by the way, also has something that they've brought you in to talk about. And then you hear somebody say something 30 seconds before you go on the air and just go on a rant on that. Well, I think they wanted me, they wanted to get my opinion on, sure, on, the on, on the election and Mike Pence. And there's a lot of blame, though. Like, people, a lot of people, I think, even people who don't like Trump, for example, a lot of, put a lot of blame on the party and people like Reince Priebus. And look, they... They deserve, I, I think, some heat uh, from uh, f- for certain things they've done over the years. We've been certainly critical of the RNC over the years. But what I don't understand now what it, what he's doing wrong. It's his. Jo- he's essentially a pilot. Uh, American Airlines has come to him, the voters of the Republican Party, and said, "We want you to fly to Dubuque." It's not up to him to say, "No, we're going to Dallas." Like they want him to go to Dubuque. He's putting it together a convention. To take the plane to Dubuque. The people voted for Donald Trump. He's putting together the best possible package he can to try to get Donald Trump elected. That is his gig. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. Why is the RNC going to Dubuque? Oh, believe what me, is, that's where they're going. Uh, and they're going to be stuck there all winter long. Yeah, they're not going to D.C. No. I, I, no. You know, I, I don't know what to believe anymore about the actual general election. If Trump wins or loses, I, first I thought there was no way he could possibly win. But I thought that with, with the nomination, too. And with, then I thought there was no way he could lose. And now I, I have no idea. I mean, well, uh, listen, if people think that, you know, you know, people who won't vote for Donald Trump, you're going to lose the election. No, because... There's the same kind of amount of people on the left that won't vote for Hillary Clinton either that just find her despicable. She is Donald Trump is 
no, Hillary, who, which one is ahead in the polls? Hillary's uh, ahead in most polls. No, I know that. But I mean, in the um, it's Trump that is ahead in the individuals. Oh, you mean issue, issue issues. by issue? Yeah. No, issue by issue. Hillary's Hillary. ahead. Okay, Hillary is yeah, 20 many. points ahead. Right. She's 20 points ahead. And yet she's, she's by like, let's say three or four is the actual state of the race right now. Right. Clinton's leads. But a very but in the lead. issues, she's way ahead. Way, way ahead. Way ahead. Uh, I mean, again, they're either very close. The issues you'd think Trump would be winning by a lot, they're close. And the ones that Hillary was winning, she's really winning. Um, do you think uh, uh, the issues proposed or policies proposed by Trump would move the country in the right direction? Uh, 57 to 40, wrong direction. Um, uh, here's a few issues one by one. Uh, who's better on the economy? Trump, that, that's one that he, generally you'd think he wins. He's up by about eight there. Um, how about stomping in that Should one. be, right? Um, immigration, uh, Hillary Clinton, 48-47. Uh, foreign policy, Hillary Clinton, 57-39. Healthcare, Hillary Clinton, 54-40. Uh, abortion, Hillary Clinton, 55-34. Race relations, Hillary Clinton, 61-31. Um, Trump does win on ISIS in this particular poll, though he hasn't. That's been a mixed bag when it comes to things like terrorism. Um, they've kind of been closer, go back and forth. But it's like these issues are issues that, it, if you look at it, if you boil it down by these major categories, and you're going issue by issue, you'd say, well, it looks like Hillary Clinton has a larger lead than she actually does. Um, and but that's because people are looking at the issues. And they're saying, I agree more with her. But then when they go in and look at the candidate, they're like, I can't stomach her. I yeah. just and can't it's because stomach her. Even as somebody who's a fan of Hillary Clinton just told you, she's the most corrupt politician in, in American history. They know her. They know her. This person knows her well. More, more than one person. Yes. I've, speak, I've spoken to in the last two months, two people that know her really well and they also say and bill is just as bad if yeah, not they're worse. Just, just and and the foundation is foundation. a sham the foundation is a total uh, sham it's unbelievable and yet they're still voting for her still raising money for her they're still fine with it i, I don't know how that's possible well that's what people are saying about the republicans they're saying you guys stand against all these things and yet here's donald trump you don't you see who he is well, I, I don't know how that's possible for us the answer is yes we do see who he is and that's why we <laughs> yeah. don't support him right but i mean i just want you to know both sides are playing the same game i guess but there are free there are fringes on both sides the bernie people the people who just cannot take hillary clinton and you're seeing it because this should be a runaway with hillary just based on the issues America, unfortunately, stands more with Hillary on issues than Donald Trump. So, okay, like 15 to 20 points, even as high as 30 points, yet she's only winning by four. Well, and part of the problem is... <laughs> it's an amazing formula. You know, amazing. Donald, she and Donald Trump are like-minded on many issues. If you would have gotten somebody you could really contrast with Hillary Clinton, and you could really compare and say... All right, here's, here's somebody who's, who's principled and conservative on the issues, and here's somebody who's progressive and liberal. Then you've got something to compare. But these two are like-minded. You've got a Hillary, and you've got a Hillary donor. You've got Hillary and a Hillary supporter. A, a guy who said she'd be a great president just a few years ago. So, once again, we're left with that horrible choice uh, in a general election. And we've been there how many times? 
How many times have we been down this road between McCain and Obama, uh, Romney. Romney and Obama, and now this, which is even worse than the first two? Dole and Clinton in 96, uh, over and over and over. George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton in 1992. Quite honestly, it is why the Republican Party is over. Yeah, it's why we've gotten our head ahead. Reince will be the last chairman of the GOP as we know it, I think. This is not his fault. It's not his fault. Well, I think it is actually because if because principles in the because the people. That's not what his job is. His job is to get people elected. And it's our job to vote for the right people. I disagree with that. I, th- I think the, the Republican Party should be based in principles. principles. They That's say they, they do. Platform. That's why they have a platform. Well, what, uh, what, what, a platform. The only thing that they could do to stop this would be to make Donald Trump not run. No, 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 no. They you do. You do just that. don't let him no, run as a they, Republican? No. They, you can, they, you can clearly, they clearly could have thrown their weight. When it got down to it, they, they clearly could have thrown their weight into it. But yeah. they decided that you know Donald Trump will be easier to work with. And Ted, you know that, Stu, we talked about it. Where are these guys? Where's the establishment? They could have selected Ted Cruz. They could have selected Rand Paul. They could have selected Scott Walker. They could have backed him and they could have come out and they could have put money behind him. And they could have acted uh, uh, on behalf of a specific candidate running in their primary. They could have done that. However, if they do that in other elections, we will complain about it. Every single time. Yes. It's just because we didn't like Donald Trump. And, and look, I don't like him at all. But well, Donald no. Trump won. And, you know, at, at this point, it's Reince's deal. At this oh, point I agree in with particular, you. it's I agree his point you. to go out there and make the biggest deal and make Donald Trump look like he is the savior of yes, all time, whether he believes point, it or not. I agree with you. At this point, that's true. But However, that doesn't mean I have to sit there and listen to it because it's like, come on. No, no. I know I, they well, don't fair. believe this. I mean, I, and I'm sure he doesn't. But, I mean, that doesn't matter, really this point I and mean, if he wants this if he doesn't do it they need to hire someone else and fire him because it's that job responsibility to make donald trump look as good as possible i can i can i will bet you my house that a, a, a large number in the gop at the very top believe that donald trump will be so bored he doesn't want to govern he just wants to be president yes that he can be ma- that he can be manipulated or he'll get so bored he'll be like i don't care about that i care about these couple of issues i don't care about that you guys do whatever you want they are thinking that way they are thinking that the, he'll just give them stuff that he doesn't want to do they and they'll be able to do what he wants what think they he's want the jimmy stewart character going to washington and, and mr yes. smith goes to washington yes. where they thought they were going to control him because he's young and he doesn't know anything and you know in that really case, he, you had a principled guy, and so they couldn't manipulate him. In this case, you don't have a principled guy. So yeah, I don't think probably didn't have one in another country back in the beginning of the last century, too. I'm trying to remember. But, well, this doesn't matter, but at this point, <laughs> I'm sure nothing bad happened. Uh, let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It's LifeLock. Several large national retailers closing their doors and selling off as much inventory as possible. But they're not just selling the inventory. This is so bad. The value of customer data is skyrocketing. So these department stores are closing up and they're selling your personal information because it's lucrative for them. So how safe is your information? Identity theft is America's fastest growing crime. That's why I have LifeLock. And I highly recommend that you do as well. They scan hundreds of millions of transactions every second. 
And if they detect your information is being used, they'll send you alert. And if you have a problem, a U.S.-based agent will work to fix it. Now, that's different than the free credit monitoring system. They only alert you to the changes in your credit. These people will help you fix it. Now, nobody can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock is the best in the business, and memberships start as low as $9.99 a month plus sales tax. So go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-440-4936. Use the promo code BECK. Get 10% off your LifeLock Ultimate Plus membership, 800-440-4936, 1-800-440-4936. Don't forget, promo code BECK. In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck takes on some of the most pervasive lies and destroys the false promises of progressivism by taking you through its history. Get the truth in Liars, the new book by Glenn Beck. Available August 2nd. Pre-order now at glennbeck.com slash liars. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Audio from the Baton Rouge shooting. Listen. Shot fired, officer down, shot fired, officer down. Got a city officer down, shot fired. Shot fired on the airline. I know where the city's shooting from. Point around, point around. Full around. Three. Quarter 10-3 in traffic, 10-3 in traffic. Shot fired, officer down behind the building and hit the ground. I I don't know what I don't know what to say to the cops around the country other than we support you and we pray for you and we know this is a war um, on you to cause chaos and you're the first to take it the things that were missing from 1968 were assassinations. And that's what's happening to our cops. They're being assassinated in our streets. Pray for them. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Mercury. 